Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is John Lee Dumas, and John is the host of the first podcast I ever listened to, Entrepreneurs on Fire, way back in 2013 or 2014. I would binge his shows nonstop. He would interview new entrepreneurs every single day, and he had a great concept and executed it really well. And in this conversation, I got the chance to ask John some questions that he's hasn't been asked in a long time or ever potentially, and it was a really cool opportunity for me to interview the interviewer. How this opportunity came to be was because I was in a clubhouse room and John was on the stage. I raised my hand and asked him about his routine that he does prior to podcasting and Afterwards, I also asked if he would like to come on the podcast, and that is this conversation. And I point that out to show and to highlight how big of an opportunity Clubhouse, as well as Twitter Spaces, and any other audio platform that comes up from Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity to speak to high-level people in a radio show format when you can get them and get their attention and parlay that into an ask for yourself or your brand in some capacity. So with all that being said, I look forward to your feedback about this episode. You can do that at Hey Danny Miranda. Also note new episodes and new clips come out of the show on YouTube, youtube.com slash Danny Miranda. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. But until then, this is my conversation with John Lee Dumas. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. John Lee Dumas, JLD, thank you for coming and joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I'm fired up to be here. love talking to exciting, enthusiastic, and really cool people. So let's have a great conversation. Let's do it. So I'd love to start this conversation with your dad. One of the things you loved about your dad was he was present in the moment. How do you apply that to your day-to-day life? I mean, listen, my dad was a busy guy. He was a lawyer. He was running his own practice. But at the same time, like he knew that life was fleeting. Like he knew that there was an expiration date to the time that I was going to be living in his house. So when I called him and I was like, Dad, let's go play baseball down the park, like he knew that there was an expiration tag on that, that I wasn't going to be there in two years and four years and six years to be asking him that question. So he really made the most of it. And that really made me realize that, you know what, he's willing to sacrifice, like maybe working a little harder in business right now to spend time with me, his son, because he knows that, you know, there's only going to be so much time he can do that. And so like he was present in that moment. And that made me realize that, hey, every scenario in life is fleeting. And, you know, you just never know when the next time you're going to have that conversation with a friend, with your parents, with a loved one, with whoever it might be. So it's just best to look around, be present, take a deep breath. And again, be present. Where do you think he got that from? 
You know, he lived a tough life. His father died when he was like 21 years old. I think he saw that life was fragile and life could be quick and taken away from you at any moment. I don't think he necessarily loved the last conversation he had with his father. So he realized that like, you know, I might always be having the last conversation with my son or with my daughter or with my loved one or with my friend because they might get hit by a car. They might get, you know, some terrible disease and they might, or the same thing that happened to him. Like he realized that there was a finite amount of time in this world and that life was fragile. It's very wise. So bringing back to a, a more positive, I guess, spin on it, you list yourself as a Providence Friars super fan in Pat Flynn's book. What do you think made your experience at Providence so special? PC right there, baby. <laughs> PC. So listen, I'm just a, a boy from a small town in Maine. You know, I, I went to high school. It was a very kind of like country high school experience, a little country bumpkin like. And I remember going to Providence. It was like going to the city. I mean, it wasn't like a big city like Boston or New York City, but it was a city and like it was meaningful and it was, you know, a few hours away from home. So I felt like I was going over the horizon, so to speak. And I just remember getting onto campus and being like, you know what? This is my new family now. Like whether I like or hate the people that are here, this is my new family. Let's make the most of it. And that's exactly what I did. Like I kind of took that mentality that we talked about earlier and I really decided to just make the most of the experience. So I didn't take anything for granted. Like I can remember like a lot of juniors, juniors and seniors would like say to me like, John, make sure you're enjoying it because it goes so fast. And I'm like, I am. Like I really am enjoying this. And uh, all four years, man, I played, all, I, play, I played full out. What were some of the highlights and lowlights from those four years? <sighs> so the highlights, you know, would definitely just be the friends I got to spend time with, the you know, parties that we went to, the intramural games and sports that we played, the times we spent watching the Patriots. I mean, all of that was just, you know, so much fun. I mean, it was my senior year. Yeah, my senior year that the Pats won the Super Bowl um, wow. for the first time, you know, in forever. This is Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. So like being on campus for that was spectacular and, and so much fun. And um, I just remember really loving that. And I'd say, you know, some of my lowlights, you know, there's weren't really that many low lights to be honest. Um, but you know, having to wake up like at 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every every uh, every week for Army ROTC, that got pretty old pretty quick. So speaking on Army ROTC, how did you how did that shape your experience? I know you mentioned discipline as as one thing that really helped you, but what was Army ROTC? What did that do for you? It gave me discipline. Like it really you know, it was just like, okay, you can't go out seven nights a week. Like some of my friends did and started getting into really bad habits. Like you've got to get to bed at a decent hour. So like, let's take this night off. Let's, let's go study. Let's, let's go eat dinner. Like let's go to bed early and then let's wake up in the morning and, and get a good workout in and start your day off strong and then crush the day. And then that night let's go out and let's have some fun. Cause I've earned it now. And so it wasn't just like this endless party. It was like, okay, I have some responsibilities too. And, you know, because I had some things I really didn't enjoy, it almost made the things I did enjoy doing that much sweeter. Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to now fast forward now to your, to law school. And I know we're skipping over some, some mm -hmm. section of your life and thank you for your service. I mean, tremendous. And so you decide after serving that you'd like to go to law school and then you quickly realize you know what, this isn't for me. 
How did you make that decision that it wasn't for you? And I know you had a difficult conversation with your parents. What was that difficult conversation like? So I thought I was ready for the next step in my life. You know, I had just gone out of my four years of active duty service to the U.S. Army. And I was like, okay, let's go from strength to strength. Like I went from being an officer, like let's now go off and, you know, start my career as potentially a lawyer and, you know, being, you know, an attorney for the rest of my life, like follow my father's footsteps, so to speak. And, you know, honestly, I was excited day one, looking around, being like, okay, this is my new crew. This is my new family, just like at Providence. Now I'm at Roger Williams, which is in Bristol, Rhode Island, which isn't that far away. So I could still kind of like shoot up and go watch the basketball games and have fun doing that. And I was just like, okay, this is it. This is my new life. Like, this is going to be exciting. And then by the second week, I was like, oof, this is unfortunately just not for me. I'm unhappy. I'm depressed. I was dealing with some PTSD at the time from my combat experience and depression. So that was pretty difficult for obvious reasons. And then I just decided, hey, you know, I'm going to give it a full semester. I'm going to work hard the whole semester, but I'm not coming back. And, you know, maybe I'll come back in a year or two years, but I just know I'm not going to continue forward until I know this is what I want to do. And that's when I decided to, to go to India for four months and just kind of like escape and, and go travel and, and try different things. And, you know, having that conversation with my parents was tough because I knew that they were had been bragging to their friends, like my son's in law school, like, you know, he's going to be a lawyer someday. And like, you know, every parent, you know, at least back in the day, wanted to be able to say that their son was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. You know, hopefully that changes in the future because those are two miserable professions and most people are very unhappy doing those things. But at the time, you know, it was like something that they were very happy and excited about and were bragging a lot about. And, and I knew they were going to have to then go back to their friends and be like, yep, my son dropped out of law school. Nope, nope, nope. John's not in law school anymore. No, he dropped out. Nope, he quit. And like up to that point, like I was, you know, high school graduate, college graduate, army officer, like I'd only been doing like strength to strength to strength. And this is going to be the first time that they were going to be kind of embarrassed or disappointed in me. And so like that was tough. But at the end of the day, I had to do what was best for me, not what was best for what my parents, you know, were going to tell their friends about. You know, I wasn't living a life so my parents could brag at lunch to their friends. And like, that's what people have to understand. It's like, you have one life. Go for the life you know you should be living, not the life that other people are expecting or wanting you to live so they can feel better about themselves in different various ways. So many people would find themselves in that situation and, and keep going and keep doing what they were doing before. What made you say to yourself, okay, I can't do that? It was basically from my time in the military. You know, like I saw four of my 16 soldiers give the ultimate sacrifice in my 13 month tour of duty. And so, like, seeing how fragile life was up close and personal, like seeing how close death was and seeing that they now were four individuals who are never going to have the joy that life could bring. I was like, I refuse to live a life less than is worth living. Like I refuse to live a life that's not living up to my full potential of joy, of happiness, of success. And that was what I was passionate about. And like, that's what I was passionate about, you know, following. And even if that meant taking a couple lumps and, you know, making a couple really hard decisions for a short term sadness, for a longer term, you know, potential success and happiness and freedom. Like I was willing to take the short term pain for that long term gain. You mentioned India before. Why did you decide to go to India of all places? It was just different. It was 
out there. It was where nobody could find me. You know, nobody could, you know, come hunt me down. Like it wasn't like people were going to like fly to Paris and like find me on the Seine River. It's like, no, like I'm going to be in India, hidden, gone, like swallowed up by that country. And it was just a way to get away. And what did you learn from those four months? I learned that it's a big world out there and that people are finding happiness in a lot of different ways. Like I saw people that were making a dollar a day, but they were unbelievably happy because of their perspective, their mentality. They were living a life they wanted to be living, you know, and it wasn't based on millions of dollars. It was based on what were they doing in the moment? Were they enjoying that moment? Yeah, that makes sense. And so now I'd like to fast forward to the second part of your journey in life. You know, you, you break up your, your life into two parts before you were 32 years old and after 32 years old. So I'd like to go back to the moment when your neighbor heard you complaining about the San Diego Padres and she said, why don't you listen to podcasts? And she showed you this is the whole world that you can listen to. My question to you is, when was the last time you spoke to this woman who introduced you to podcasts? And have you followed up with her since? Interesting question. So she was my neighbor for my two years living in San Diego. And we have just stayed connected over the years. And we are still friends. And here's a quick little funny story, actually. So when I left San Diego and went back to me, like we actually stayed in touch. And then um, when I moved back to San Diego after I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, I got a place, a beautiful place right on the bay on San Diego. It was two bedrooms, ocean views, panoramic. It was gorgeous. Um, and we stayed there for three years and we loved every minute of it. And, and we, you know, we were friends then. She would come over, we'd hang out. She didn't live too far away at that point. In fact, she still lived in the same place that uh, we met in. So she was like still there. And I got to go back and kind of see the old place and hang out there. And then um, when we left for Puerto Rico, she said, hey, my parents have been looking for a vacation rental out here. What do you think about them taking over your lease? And I, we talked to our landlord and they liked the idea of an older couple you know, taking over the lease. So we literally handed that lease to this woman, her name's Susan, to Susan's parents. And they still have that place to this day. So every time I go back to San Diego, I can still, I go to that place to hang out with Susan. And we were just there in October. Wow. That's crazy. Do you like, do you ever think about like, like, wow, did Susan get put on this earth? Like to help me in this way, like some divine connections in that way. Do you ever think like, wow. I I don't think in that way, because that would kind of mean like Susan's only role here was to have me launch. (laughs) But I get what you're saying. I mean, it's like, I feel like, you know, I was put on this earth for a lot of reasons. I think one of those reasons was to launch the podcast. I think one of those reasons was to be friends with Susan because I know that I make her life better as her friends. And, you know, Susan was put on this earth for many reasons. And I think one of those was to drop that little nugget of like, oh, you don't like listening to the radio, check out podcasts. And me being like, what's a podcast? (laughs) What do you think you would have done if you had never discovered podcasts in general? I mean, I want to give Susan a lot of credit and she deserves it, but I mean, it was only a matter of time. I mean, maybe it would be a year later, which, you know, could have been too late for me to launch this podcast and in the the time and the manner that I wanted to. But I mean, I was, of course, going to discover podcasts at some point. Um, but again, timing is everything. And so it was critical for my success with Entrepreneurs on Fire that I learned about podcasting at that point in my journey so that I could 
you know, launched the podcast soon afterwards that, you know, changed my life. Yeah. And it changed my life too. So Thank you. absolutely. So I want to now go f- fast forward to the book because that's why I have you on the podcast. I read the book, Incredible, The Common Path to Uncommon Success by JLD, baby. You spent 480 writing hours putting this book together. What's something that you had to take out? Because I know when you write a book, you need to write all this stuff. And then they say, oh, you know, you have to take this part out. Never done it myself, but I feel like that happened to you. What is a part of the book that they took out or that you had to take out that you wish you could put back in? I'm going to be honest with you. It's a fantastic question. That usually is the case. But I had a lot of leverage with my publisher and I gave them the outline of the book before. And I said, this is a 17-step roadmap. These steps have to be here. I can't cut it down to 15. I can't bump it up to 20. It's 17 steps. These will be the 17 chapters. And I want to work with an editor to make this the best book possible. But this is going to be the outline. And I'm not going to sign with you unless you accept that. And so they <laughs> did. So because of that, I did not have to take out anything that I thought was critical for the book, thankfully. Wow. So it is exactly as you yes. you want it to be. That's that's incredible. And that speaks to the leverage that you've built up publishing 3000 episodes, you know, like this is what happens. So you also mentioned, you know, it's 71,000 words and you know, you, you meticulously track these 480 hours. So what other things do you track in your day-to-day life? I track a lot of things. I track my weights. I track my, track my water consumption. You know, I track my calories. I track my protein, my macros. Um, you know, I track the amount of time that I'm, you know, in a sauna. Um, and by a sauna, I don't mean the app Asana. I mean a infrared sauna that I'm in. My actual plunge pool actually comes in two days, which I'm really excited about. Actually, what's today? Oh, it comes tomorrow, the 17th, which I'm really excited about. So that'll be a really fun opportunity and experience. And I'll be soon tracking my um, plunge pool time. So I like to track things. I'm just kind of that person. Do you ever feel like it's too much? Like you're tracking too much? Do you ever get anxiety about when you don't track certain things? No, I do feel like there's a point that you're tracking too many things because then it just takes too much time to track all these different things. So I only look for the baseline. And when I feel like I'm kind of maybe getting too many things to track, I just take things off like that aren't as important. And I just keep it to the core foundational principles. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you are actually losing money on every single book yeah. that you're you're selling because you're including your freedom mastery journal and sending that to every person. How do you get that idea to to lose money and be okay with that and why 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 are you doing that, John? So for 8 years now, I've been netting over a million dollars a year well over a million dollars a year as a business. So I've been able to build up a big financial war chest. You know, I'm very successfully successful financially. And this book is my heart, my soul, my blood, my sweat, my tears. And I know that people need this book. People need to read this book. And I had to make it an absolute irresistible no-brainer offer to get people to take action. And so I did by offering to ship my Freedom Journal, my Mastery Journal, and my Podcast Journal to every single person who pre-orders this book. Now, that offer is actually gone. We ended on March 12th. 
But I had it open for two and a half months, all of January, all of February, and half of March. Um, so that's, you know, we've shipped thousands and thousands and thousands of these journals, you know, to a tune of, you know, untold <laughs> high dollar amount for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, I wanted to get this book into the hands of as many people as possible because I know it's going to help so many people. And that's where I'm at now. I've had my success and I'm looking to move into significance. And so this book is going to help me help you help other people. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. And you mentioned you're, you know, you've made over a million dollars for X amount of years in a row and you, you publish all your reports and have been since you started. So has there ever been a point when you decided, you know what, this is, this is too much. Like I'm, I'm being too open. Do you, have you ever thought about that at all? Or has it always been just, you're happy to share? I don't think it's possible to be too open. I mean, people want transparency, honesty. They want you to be genuine. They want to know who you are, what you're doing. If they want to know, like, and trust you. And so to build that know, like, and trust, I've just always wanted to be an open book and just say, this is what I'm looking to share with the world. I've been inspired by people who have been open, honest, and transparent before me. I want to emulate them and I just want to share and I want to inspire people. I want them to see the real, honest numbers. One of the people you've been inspired by and you you list as one of your dream podcast guests is Barack Obama. What exactly do you admire about Barack Obama? Just that he's a hard worker, just that he you know came up working hard, that he knew what he wanted. He was willing to work hard for it. And, you know, he just has really worked on his craft. Like he's become a great speaker over the years. He's, you know, become a great leader over the years. And I've just admired him, you know, breaking barriers. You know, like I broke this small little tiny barrier of being the first daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. He broke this barrier of being, you know, the first, you know, essentially non-white president of the United States. I mean, that's quite an amazing barrier to break through. And it's just, it's very inspiring. You mentioned Barack Obama's gotten better as a speaker and you have become incredible as a speaker as well. What are some of the ways that you've gotten better as a speaker? I mean, the number one way is the way that everybody becomes better at everything they do is they put in the reps. And I see you shaking your head because you've heard me say this before, but it's just the truth. It's like you get better by doing the thing you want to get better at. LeBron James practices basketball. He gets better at basketball. Pele which is a brand new documentary on Netflix, by the way, that just came out that's fantastic. He just practiced soccer. He became the best soccer player in the world. It's just like, you need to put in the reps. That's how you become better at anything that you do. I just don't want to overcomplicate things for people. Like that's the secret to success. Do you ever get frustrated because you've said the same thing for so long and so often that people aren't listening to your advice? Does that ever frustrate you? It does frustrate me sometimes. And sometimes that's not really fair because these people maybe haven't heard me say it before. So they're asking like the same question. And the very first time somebody asked me that question, I was like happy to answer it because it was the first time I was asked. But you know, the 400th time somebody asked me, like, I'm just too scared to niche. I don't think I should niche down. I'm like, for God's sake, like, where are these people coming from? But they're just having the same questions that everybody has, myself included when I started. They're just at that point in their journey. And that's what I have to keep remembering is like, that's where they are. They're at that beginning part of the journey where they really think they shouldn't niche down or they really think they don't need to have an avatar or they really think that they can just be a pale, weak imitation of some other successful entrepreneur and find success when I know they can't, but they don't know it yet. You've worked with some people like Tony Robbins, 
Pat Flynn, Gary Vaynerchuk. So what is that experience working with such a high level person like? How do you not get flustered by the moment? Well, number one, you realize you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and that spending time with them is just going to improve your average. And frankly, you become the average of those people. So like, I feel like when I'm hanging out with Pat Flynn, Amy Porterfield, Lewis Howes, Gary Vaynerchuk, I just feel like I'm the average of them. Like they're, they're the average of me. Like we're hanging out together. Like I don't get intimidated by hanging out with people like that because I put myself in that same realm. I'm going to Tony Robbins house at the end of March for a 10 person mastermind, which is going to be fantastic. Um, and I'm not intimidated by hanging out with Tony Robbins. I've done it before. I was in Fiji a year and a half ago doing the same thing. And I'll, I'm looking forward to it. He's an aspiring person to be around, but I'm not intimidated by it because I know he's going to help my average. What are some of the biggest takeaways you have from learning from Tony Robbins directly face-to-face? The biggest takeaway would be when you're building a team, every person's different as to what they want. Find what that specific individual wants that's going to make that job the best job in the world for them, the individual, and give them that. So now you have everybody on your team getting the best thing in the world for them. So this makes it the best job for them. And it's going to decrease churn a million percent instead of just saying, okay, nobody has to come in until 10 a.m. Well, maybe some people want to come in at 6 a.m. and get out at 2 p.m. Like you've got to give people what they want, not just this blanket, like what you think they might want. Yeah. And that's one of the things you've done so well, it seems like from an outsider's perspective of is scaling the unscalable of figuring out what each person in your community wants. One thing that I love that you do is you ask listeners or you have asked listeners four questions to people to ask them, hey, you know, what do you like about the show? What do you hate about the show? So where'd you get this idea to ask people four questions? Just knowing that you have to keep your finger on the pulse of your audience and knowing that I wanted to jump on a call with them. And the first call kind of being a disaster, just being like, oh, hi, what, what do you do? And like, okay, I got to get better. Okay. Second call, maybe we'll ask them a question. Okay. Third call. Okay. That was a bad question. Maybe we'll ask them another question. And then you put in the reps, you get a little bit better every single time. And then like after 50 calls, I had four questions dialed in that made it an amazing conversation. And I started using that. So I took action and I just got a little bit better every single time. Who are some of the people that you're looking to, or you have looked to in the past as interviewers who you you aspire to be like or or have improved and upped your game? Larry King, Oprah, you know, individuals like that that I just see have interviewed so many people and you know, have just been so inspiring over the years and have built their life around interviewing people and pulling out fantastic, excuse me, and great questions from their audience and just saying, wow, like I can learn from these people. I can watch them, I can study them, I can learn from them, and I can apply what works for them in my life, in my business, if it works and jives with what I do with my personality. And that's kind of been something really interesting for me. I appreciate that. So I know you're, you're limited on time, John. Thank you for, for your great insights. Do you have any final closing words for listeners and to tell someone who's on their journey of pursuing the highest version of themselves? Maybe they're 22 years old. What final words do you have for that person? I'd say this, listen, This book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, this is not my genius. This is a culmination of the 3,000 entrepreneurs that I've interviewed over the past decade. This is the 17 core foundational principles that I've learned from them that we all as successful entrepreneurs share. 
And I put those 17 core foundational principles into a chronological step-by-step roadmap that will lead you to your financial freedom and fulfillment. So if you're interested in getting to your version of Uncommon Success, if you're interested in a roadmap that's going to take you step-by-step to financial freedom and fulfillment, get this book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success over at UncommonSuccessBook.com. You'll see the endorsements from Gary Vaynerchuk, Neil Patel, Seth Godin, Eric Mandy, Dory Clark. You'll also see the five bonuses that I have for people who pre-order. You'll see the first chapter of the book for free. You get to read it, check out my writing style. You'll see uh, me jumping in my pool here in Puerto Rico with all my clothes on and telling you all the details about the book. Um, UncommonSuccessBook.com. Get this book today. JLD, thank you for your time. Thank you for all your wisdom. You were the first podcast I ever listened to. And now back on the mic and full circle. This is incredible. I appreciate you tremendously. Have a wonderful day. Love it, brother. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Lee Dumas. If you did or you have any thoughts about the conversation, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda. If you got this far, first of all, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Second of all, if you'd like to share this episode with someone who you think will benefit from it, that would also mean the world to me. And I will see you guys in the next one. Peace.